great gowns, beautiful gowns. And I'm Chelsea Fairless. And welcome to another episode of Every Outfit. What's up? I, I haven't know. seen you. We haven't really seen each other. Pretty low-key. A lot of work. I'm, I know it's the same for you. I did go out and... A lot of work that's completely fruitless. <laughs> Do you <wanna laughs> Might get... I just say. <laughs> Do you want to get into that? <laughs> I don't want to get really into it. Basically, we've been working on an event that we were very excited about doing in LA next month. But it just fell through at the 11th hour due to things that weren't our fault and are beyond our control. So I would say just millennial straight men and their lack of communication skills is what <laughs> what ultimately <laughs> 86 this event. It's funny that you say that because I'm about to tell a story of a, I think, a similar genre of man that I'm fully fed up with at this point. OK, what happened? I went to Gigi's for dinner, which we've had drinks at Gigi's. We had brunch at Gigi's, but I've never had dinner there. Oh, did you get the truffle butter? I didn't get the the truffle butter. Then you fucked up. No, I made a reservation three weeks in advance so I could actually eat on a Saturday night at 7.15. But could you eat indoors? Nope. (laughs) So I get there. I had dinner with my friend, Lauren Fahm. And we get there, and the the lady is like, and we're already like seven minutes late because I'm looking for a parking space. There is no valet parking. I just want to add. <laughs> or else I fully would have. Okay, that is fully the easiest street to park on. Chell, it's not. Please stop doing this. You gaslight me about the availability of parking all the time. Anyway, we're already a few minutes late, and she's like, oh, the table's not ready yet. Like, why don't you get a drink inside? So my friend and I go inside. And all the seats are basically taken. It looks like there's two seats available, but one girl's like, oh, no, my friend's coming back. And so we go to another side, and it looks like two seats are available here, and it's a guy. And then these two seats, and he goes, oh, my friend's coming back. And as we're having this exchange, the friend comes back and just sits down. And, you know, my friend and I are relatively attractive women. I look at these guys. They don't have rings on their fingers. <laughs> um, and the guy turns. I'm like, oh, he's going to give up his seat and there'll be maybe a little flirtation he goes oh i'm gonna leave in a couple minutes so like you'll be able to have this seat and it's like fucking get up and so i'm telling the story last night i was having dinner with my parents and my grandmother is there and she just pauses and she goes um were you upset because you allowed that to happen (laughs) and i went what and chelsea it was said in the same delivery of remember patricia clarkson that scene in six feet under when claire gets rejected from oh maybe you're not an artist yeah it gets rejected from the grant and patricia clarkson without missing a beat goes maybe you're not an artist and claire like loses her mind she's like you're the one who told me i was an artist and like my mom could start seeing steam was coming out of my ears but I got home a couple hours later and I thought about it and it was like, yeah, why didn't I just get, like, what is stopping me from getting six inches from that guy's face and just staring at him unblinkingly until he's so uncomfortable that he just gets up? Because you're not a fucking psychopath, but I mean, grandma's on one for that. (laughs) You're basically being bullied by your own grandmother. Which I think is what a lot of grandmothers do. I don't think that's super uncommon. Yeah, and I can't say anything. She's 90. Right. You can talk shit about her behind her back publicly on your podcast, though. I was also realizing, unfortunately, my entire family listens to the podcast, including my grandmother. And I was thinking about how you used to have this issue with Instagram 
But your solution for that, which I'll allow you to tell in a second, there's no equivalent. Wait, what What was my solution for Instagram? Remember low-key Chelsea? Oh, well, yeah, I had a Finsta. No, no, no. But what was great was your Finsta then became like a Russian nesting doll because then too many people followed the Finsta. So then you had to have a Finsta for the Finsta. I feel like that always happens. Then there was even lower-key Chelsea... Lowest key Chelsea. I don't have one anymore. I try and like, I have to do so much work in the social media sector that I just have no interest in expressing my personality through social media or having or maintaining like my own Instagram, let alone a Finsta. I just, I couldn't be bothered. Although I like following other people's. Other people's Finstas. Yeah. Anyway. So what's been up with you? Nothing. I mean, I I just, I got back from visiting my parents. I'm in the house. I'm slowly starting to unpack, but I haven't really had time to. And, uh, and yeah, it's great. I love that we have so many people in common that people are asking me about your new place. Like I just went to see my facialist who also works on Tat and she, and she was like, oh, so Chelsea and Tat are in a new place. How is it? <laughs> yeah. Word gets around. Should we address the fact that I look like Jonathan Chaban <laughs> is the real question. Um, I mean, you don't, but I think transparency is always key. So to celebrate the premiere of the Kardashians on Hulu, I got lip fillers day before <laughs> yesterday. And I, I'm not a crazy person. I didn't go crazy. And I don't want to be someone that looks like they have work done. That It doesn't really go with my personality. It's just weird. It would be like if Woody Allen had like lip fillers or something. I thought you were going to say if Woody Allen got like hair plugs all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> But I just had it done. And so my lips are like very swollen and bruised. So I do look freakish. I look like Big Ange or like that chick from Euphoria. I think that's all in your head. I would not notice you had anything done. Really? Yeah. And I see you all the time. To be fair, your mouth is hidden by the microphone right now, though. I think it's pretty freakish. Anyway. It's all about slowly building up lip filler. I won't say how I know this, but... (laughs) Shall we talk about Sex in the City news? Yeah, right after we recorded last week, news broke that Sarah Jessica Parker had COVID. We thought we were going to have to do an emergency podcast and break into last week's podcast because it said that Plaza Suite was canceled. And we were like, holy shit. But then you have to read about two paragraphs in and they're like, certain performances have been canceled. So not the show. In yeah, its it didn't close the show. I love that Matthew Broderick was out of the show for days prior because he got COVID and shock of all shocks, his wife, who he spends his life with, also got COVID. Yes, and we are wishing SJP a very speedy recovery. The show is back. Matthew Broderick is back today, Thursday, and then she'll be back in a couple days. Okay, thank God, because it does seem like COVID is just destined to close this show. You know, like it was supposed to premiere on Broadway on the day of the New York shutdown, the first shutdown in March of 2020, right? Yeah, the sad thing was they had done all of this press. That's who I feel the worst for is people that had Broadway shows, TV shows, movies that were all coming out in March that had already done half or all of their press cycle and then had pause and then redo the press cycle. Yeah, well, also they had been in previews. Like they had just been figuring out the show. Yeah. And they finally did and it closed. So Parker is expected to return to the production starting with the matinee on Saturday, April 16th. Has anyone seen Plaza Suite, by the way? Like, is it good? 
You know who is going to see Plaza Suite? Who? My parents, oh, Andy cute. and Kathy Garoni. I'm going to have them call into the hotline and tell me. Great. Only Andy and Kathy would spend that kind of money <laughs> to go see. I think theater is a very, very worthwhile investment. Yeah, but this is that like Hamilton producers premium right. ticket. Right. On a related note, our girl Candace Bushnell has a run of shows coming up at the Carlisle. And uh, I think Isaac Mizrahi and Mario Cantone also have shows there in the coming months. So if you are a gay man in New York who is over 30 and has a little bit of disposable income, you know what to do. Or for our, you know, tri-state area Lukes, you cannot have a better evening than at the Carlisle. Agreed. I mean, you won't, the Lukes of the audience, but your lady will, especially if she's a discerning person that listens to this podcast. Yeah. I saw Eartha Kitt when I was in college with my parents, because again, I'm not, I can't afford that. <laughs> yeah, the Carlisle is fucking expensive, especially the shows there. I feel like it's like 150 yeah. bucks yeah, for you, a ticket to you want anything. A, you want a $32 glass of champagne? Yeah. To go with seeing Woody Allen playing trombone? <laughs> yeah, we must also say... Woody Allen plays the Carlisle a lot. Does he still? Yes, because I was going to go to New York again with my parents for their anniversary, my birthday, which are all in a five-day span. And we were going to stay at the Carlisle and, like, do a whole thing. We were like, who's playing at the Carlisle? It was Woody Allen. I was like, guys, I can't do it. I was like, I'm sorry, but no. I'm going to get canceled if I set foot in there. In other Sex in the City news, Miss Kimberly Cattrall has been posting some fun stuff on social media. She posted a selfie with Kathy Najimi, who we, of course, love from The Sister Act and Veronica's Closet. And also Sarah Jessica Parker's <laughs> co-star in Hocus Pocus and the soon-to-be-released Hocus Pocus 2. Yeah, and the caption for this selfie is catching up on all the gossip with my pal Kathy Najimi, which does seem a little sus. For a woman in her 60s, the fact that she can so effectively subtweet... And yeah. I don't think she has anyone running her social media. I find very impressive. I mean, yeah, the subtext of this being, we've been talking shit about Sarah Jessica Parker over cocktails. Which got even juicier because over the weekend, she released a series of photos that appeared to be her sitting down with Patricia Field, which you initially thought was like, why are there cameras there? That's a bit extra for a social media post, but they were there to film a documentary about Patricia Field, which I can't wait to watch. Sounds like a great idea. Although, shouldn't we be considered? To speak? Yes, as like, you know, two of the people that are interviewed about the legacy of Patricia Field. We are Sex in the City fashion historians. First, we're snubbed for the Kardashian ABC special, and now this. To be fair, I think we do need to be on camera more. I, I mean, I don't want to be on camera, but... <laughs> Also, speaking of people that don't want to be on camera, it seemed like Pat Field was disassociating in that video <laughs> that Kim posted. Like, she looked like she went somewhere else in her head. I think she's working on the costumes for season three of Emily in Paris. Yeah. When I disassociate, I go into the world of Emily in Paris. She's like, how am I going to find so many colored fingerless gloves? She's like, you know what? Instead of a large belt, maybe just a medium-sized belt this time. In other news, we have a bunch of pop star news this week. 
Of the same variety. I mean, pop star pregnancy news. Yeah. So Britney Spears posted maybe one of the most Cahote-esque pregnancy announcements <laughs> in true Britney fashion, where she writes, I lost so much weight to go on my Maui trip only to gain it back. Shrug emoji, shrug emoji, shrug emoji. Which is, by the way, my favorite emoji. I thought, geez, what happened to my stomach? My husband said, now, are they married? Actually? I don't know. I don't think so. My husband said, no, you are food pregnant, silly. So I got a pregnancy test and, uh, well, I'm having a baby. Four days later, I got a little more food pregnant. It's growing. If if two are in there, I might just lose it. I obviously won't be going out as much due to the paps getting their money shot of me. So anyway, before people officially announced this and her quote-unquote husband, people were on the internet, I saw just yelling at each other for two hours and being like, how dare you assume she's pregnant, okay? She could not actually be pregnant. She might just be food pregnant. It was like people trying to read into, like reading the tea leaves. They're like, is she pregnant? Is she not pregnant? Seems like Twitter is such an upsetting place. Which I guess is why Elon Musk wants to buy it. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, look, I'm glad that Britney got her IUD removed, which was mandated by her conservatorship, as we recently learned. But I am a little nervous about this because I don't think a child should have to witness her filming those dancing videos. <laughs> But what can we do? I mean, anyone that's able to have a child can just have a fucking child. And there's nothing that any of us can do about it. Look at the Duggars, you know? (laughs) They're starting their own fucking race. Which is kind of the reason that you and I should have kids. Just to, like, try to help balance things out. Just so our kids can bully their kids. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And Brittany posted yesterday a video of her trying on a bunch of different clothing, which she says, so I have to model my clothes now before I really start showing. I had to do it with a flower on my neck like Sarah Jessica Parker. And in the video, only two outfits have the little necklace with like a choker with a flower on it. And the rest are just this fabric choker, which makes her look like it's the sequel to Orphan or something. Yeah. Our favorite reference. (laughs) Some films just stay with you, and Orphan is one of those films. In other pregnant pop star news, Rihanna's Vogue cover came out. Yeah, you would have thought that maybe she would have put forth a younger photographer for this shoot. It's shot by Annie Leibovitz, but they have a history together. She shot her for Vanity Fair, but also Rihanna's... 2012 Vogue cover but then I completely forgot that Annie Leibovitz of course has a lineage with this kind of photography she is the one that photographed Demi Moore infamously naked on the cover of Vanity Fair which opened up this whole new genre of uh, pop star actress famous person posing half naked pregnant on a magazine cover totally that cover was so impactful because it was racy and sexy and showed pregnancy in that light but it wasn't really about fashion whereas this one is so this one is a game-changing cover because of the sort of clothes that Rihanna is wearing well would it surprise you that that photo of Demi Moore wasn't supposed to be in the Vanity Fair shoot it was a private photo that they did after the shoot that was just supposed to be for Demi and Bruce and Tina Brown who was the editor-in-chief of the time was looking for something that would kind of signify the change from the 80s and the 90s saw that photo and asked to put it on the cover instead. Yeah, it's I mean, it's fabulous. It holds up, as does Demi Moore's other Vanity Fair cover where she is sitting on Santa Claus's lap. Am I making this up? Was she on the cover in a painted suit at one point? Yeah, it was like body paint or something. 
Yeah, she's had some good moments. But the Vogue shoot is interesting because it's very much within American Vogue's comfort zone, which is doing some shoot with Annie Lubitz in a fancy hotel room. Like, that's like a really normal thing for them to do. I didn't realize that I missed her green and yellow post-production toned photos (laughs) until I looked at this shoot. I was like, ah, someone in the bathtub and it's a green, blue David Fincher film. I miss this. You know... Annie is so good with a bathtub. Yeah. Like, when I think of that portrait that she did of Whoopi Goldberg Goldberg, in a bathtub full of milk, it does not get better than that. But the thing that makes this shoot different is the clothes. It's very rare, I feel, that the clothes that are on the cover of Vogue feel really, really current or new in any sort of way. And this was, this really did. It's shot at the Ritz in Paris, and that photo of her in the Marc Jacobs floor-length puffer jacket. Oh, that was amazing. But it looked kind of like a duvet cover. Like, it had the effect of, like, oh, she was naked and just grabbed this duvet off the bed and went on the balcony, and that was beautiful. Although, I really would have liked some on-the-street-type shit in addition to the hotel stuff, because I think the coolest image in this shoot was the one where you could see the behind-the-scenes of the photo, which is also an Annie Leibovitz trope. I was But you say, see the yeah. glam team, you see the cameraman. That was very cool, and that kind of reminded me of that incredible Vogue editorial that she did in the 90s or maybe it was the early 2000s in Paris with Diddy and Kate Moss. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fucking amazing. I still think that photo of like Kate Moss smoking while Diddy is like watching Scarface is just one of the best fashion photographs of all time. Yeah, so I feel like it could have been a little more major. It was kind of... Remember when Vogue was incredible? (laughs) I know. It was kind of basic, like, in its staging, although the clothes were really great, and Alaya in particular did some really, really beautiful customs. So uh, shout out to Peter Mullier. And yet another amazing placement for Glenn Martins, his uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier haute couture piece, is on Rihanna as well. What was that? like? It's like a tulle almost veil that comes entirely down and over, over the boobies. It feels like the most important Vogue cover in a while. Maybe even since Kim and Kanye. Also, no disrespect to Kim's cover earlier this year. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, that was whatever. I think it gets... Well, no disrespect to Sarah Jessica Parker's cover either. Although, again, that was just such a highly traditional cover. There wasn't an aspect of it that felt like it was really doing anything new. Whereas this did just by nature of seeing a pregnant woman in an outfit like this. And to your point, it harkens back to a heyday, a sweet spot of Vogue photography and specifically Annie Leibovitz's photography as well, which is this, we're showing you behind the scenes, but it's the most heightened, glamorized version of that. Yeah. The thing that's hard with Annie Leibovitz and even a photographer like David LaChapelle is that now their photographs are basically collages. You mean from a post-production standpoint? Yeah, the post-production is so fucked. But then when you look at like early or mid-career Annie Leibovitz or David LaChapelle, whoever, it's like the most incredible photos you've ever seen. But some people just should not be allowed to digitally manipulate their images to this extent. Well, it's sort of like with people now and their body dysmorphia when it comes to getting fillers where it's like they can't even see themselves. Yeah. I feel that Annie Leibovitz has that problem with post-production. 
Yeah, because I think that some photographers look at photos and they don't, I mean, they don't see what we see. Like they look at it like a mathematical equation or something. Yeah. And it is to an extent, but they just don't know when to stop. But this is some of the more tasteful post-production that I've seen done on her work. I think the apex of bad post-production would be the Lena Dunham Vogue shoot where Adam Driver's in a bathtub in a blue-green huge That was photo. amazing. What do you mean? That looks great. No, no, no. Not Adam Driver, but like Lena Dunham's body looks like she's from somewhere else. I think where Annie hit rock bottom, but also it was kind of major in its own way, were those ads that she did for Disney or Disneyland. <gasps> Remember oh. the one where it was like Patti Smith and Johnny Depp were like pirates? Right. There was one where Julianne Moore, I think, was the Little Mermaid. Smart. Yeah, although she was probably like 40 at the time, but whatever. Don't be ageist <laughs> to our queen. Isn't the Little Mermaid supposed to be like 15? No, but let me pitch you a film that Disney will never make, <laughs> which is it's Julianne Moore as the Little Mermaid, but is a single woman who's like losing her mind a la Magnolia. Right. Don't Love you, that. Don't you call me mermaid? Suck my tail. <laughs> oh, God. Um, you didn't read the article, but I did. And I wanted to discuss the fact that she has a similar feeling to Miranda about baby showers, which I thought was funny. The She hates storks? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I mean, along with maternity jeans, she has a list of other pregnancy do's and don'ts, starting with the baby shower. Quote, no brunch, no blush tones, and no animal shape, nothing. She says, shaking her head. Well, I think if you take out animal shapes, that's kind of sad. Like, what's the point of having a baby shower without little bunnies and chickies and stuff? Personally, I want a party. I want everyone to be plastered and crawling out. And it's going to be co-ed. Don't put me on uh, no wicker chair somewhere with gifts at my feet where everyone is staring at me. This is very Miranda. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. It is really awkward that pregnant women have to do that. Yeah, a gender reveal party is also off the table. I asked my doctor, is something wrong with me for not wanting this? Because people keep asking, am I a bad mom? When we're ready to tell the world, we'll just tell them. Correct. Yeah. I mean, has a gender reveal ever worked? I think it only really works with your first kid. Because when it's the second kid, if it's the same gender as the first kid, then no one gives a shit. Well, I'm going to allow my child to pick their gender when they feel comfortable. Oh, so it's good kind for of you. pointless. <laughs> Mother um, of the year over here. <laughs> but I mean, how many ecological disasters have been started because of gender reveal parties? Oh, I'm not making a case for them. I think they're fucking stupid, but people are going to do what they're going to do. In other news, did you watch Casey Musgrave's Architectural Digest home tour? Oh, yes, I did. What do you think? I think, I mean, I love my home. It's not a minimalist home, but like, I think my next place, it's like all maximalism. Because if I see one more like White House, beige rug. She had a lot of tchotchkes though. She did have a lot of tchotchkes. She also has an addiction to like gilded frames from flea markets. <laughs> I know, but I love that at one Which point... Which is problematic, but whatever. Oh, there's a few problematic things going on in, in this tour. I don't think her house is that problematic. 
ultimately, this just made me really like her as a person. She's so down to earth and likable and delightful. The thing I will point out was when she's pointing to a piece of art that is a 19th century painting of men on camels. And she's like, I don't know. This guy was telling me that like British people just used to go to like Africa and stuff and paint photos. And I'm like, do you mean the Grand Tour? Do you mean when like super wealthy white guys in the 18th and 19th century would go to Africa and, and just like paint photos and be like, look, look what I did. So you're calling her problematic for having this painting? I just enjoyed a little bit that she didn't quite understand the context of this and had no issue like looking into it. Whatever. It's just a painting of some camels that she liked. Also, I love how she was talking about how she's gotten into ceramics and stuff. And she was like, oh, and here's this camel sculpture that I made, which was incredible. It was really good. It almost makes me question. I'm like, did you make that? Because if you made that, you should probably just be a sculpture. You're as good as anyone. A sculptress. I don't think we need to use gendered terms to talk about people with clay. My favorite room was that little room that she had where she's like, yeah, I like to write my songs here. And it had this very like distinctive wall color. And she was like, yeah, I love the paint in here. It's called Dead Salmon. And I'm like, what paint is called Dead Salmon? It's some, I'm sure it's some millennial direct-to-consumer paint company. It. Well, I actually Googled it. It's not. It's some like old-timey, like rich person paint company, but... It's beautiful. Love dead salmon. The one thing she had in her house that I was like, I would do this and I'm shocked I haven't, which is she has several blown up photos of her mother from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Because I'm obsessed with my mom. My mom is my best friend. I'm not my mom's best friend, which is quite interesting, (laughs) but I consider her my best friend. What I liked was she blew up these two photos and kind of put them catty corner to each other where one was the photo of her mom and then another was a blown up portion of like objects in the photo. Oh yeah, it was very cool. Yeah. I thought so too. I also always love getting to see celebrities' books in these home tours, so I couldn't help but notice. She has the new Tyler Mitchell book. She has some Wes Anderson book. She has the Prada and Louis Vuitton catwalk books which are both fabulous which i wonder if she got from uh, costco it's the only way to get them do they have them at costco now i think famously it's like certain costcos have those the ones that you have yeah yeah those books are really fabulous and essential because that's all i want out of a fashion book i just want to see the images from the fashion shows and i think they're really they're really great but speaking of which I made a terrible, terrible discovery this week, TikTok discovery, which is that people are buying completely fake bootleg coffee table books on AliExpress that look like the Tom Ford book or whatever, but they're really just empty boxes. And it's a full ass thing. You sent me a few of these videos and they're very upsetting. And the first thing that I saw was a Bobo Tom Ford book, which I think this wasn't even people that are buying it on AliExpress. It was someone that like had printed it out and then put it on like a harder surface to make it look like it was a book. And I instantly was like, that's not the size and shape of the Tom Ford font on the black book. No, they're not good reproductions of the books. And also you explain, but I do want to clarify, you're not getting the book. Like it's literally an empty shell. I could not help but think about 
the famous John Waters quote, which is something to the effect of if you go home with someone and they don't have books, don't fuck them. Really don't fuck them if they do have books, but they're all fucking fake because they're from AliExpress. So it's funny because the week prior, there was a debate about an Architectural Digest home tour of Ashley Tisdale, where she's showing around her new home and she shows off this bookshelf with all of these books. And she admits these bookshelves, I have to be honest, actually did not have books in it a couple of days ago. I had my husband go to a bookstore and I was like, you need to get 400 books. Oh my God. They bought 400 books at random to fill the bookshelf to seem interesting. This is sending me into such a fucking dark place, especially because, okay, I get it. If you have a full fucking bookshelf to fill, it's like, just get rid of the bookshelf if you don't read. Or put different objects. Have your interior designer get objects on West Hollywood. Fucking go to the, the Rosewood flea market was last weekend. Yeah, but also if you're one of these people that you just want to have a few coffee table books out, you just want like the Chanel book and the Tom Ford book and the Alexander McQueen book, you're never going to read them. You're never going to look at them. You just want them sitting out. It's like, just go and buy... Oh, God. I'm showing Chelsea the Ashley Tisdale thing. I think what's more upsetting to me is, and you inspired me, and I feel like in the show notes you have to show your beautiful bookshelf in the last apartment, but... I put a lot of just my reading books in a closet and then my bookshelves that are in my living room are more just a visual bookshelf. And I think what's upsetting me about this Ashley Tisdale thing is the organization. The fact that she has a Chanel book almost next to a book about Freud. I'm like, what story are we telling here? (laughs) But to go back to the people buying fake books on AliExpress, it's like coffee table books, especially if you just want to buy three, are not that expensive especially if you go on Amazon, not suggesting that people do, especially if you go to a used bookstore. There are so many amazing large books that can be purchased for $30. Like, facts. I don't understand why people wouldn't just buy a book. And to go back to celebrities like Ashley Tisdale, we know through Gwyneth Paltrow that for like that ilk, there is a specialized bookcaseologist or whatever it's called. But should we be like the millennial equivalent of that? I would love to be. And then we could turn it into a Netflix series, like those people <laughs> that make the rainbow bookshelves and then put the rainbow M&Ms in plastic yeah. canisters the, what are they called the home edit yeah no they're, they're deranged we're at playboy cardi's house we're like okay so like what are your interests <laughs> it's us at iliad bookstore in the valley just getting like vintage books that would be so fun i would love to do someone's bookshelves from scratch that would be amazing it is hard though like i'm in the process of unloading my books into this new bookshelf and it's it's a whole ass thing it's going to take days to figure it out. Days? Days. Tad and I spent like five hours working on it and we only got like seven shelves done or something. I understand that for most people this is not fun, but this is fun for us. Quite in the way that Kim Kardashian, which we'll get into in a little bit, was like, you don't understand. I cleaned up my, my kid's playroom and that was so much fun. <laughs> so, the equivalent of that to us is like, oh my God, I put all of my New York uh, review bo- books in color coordinated order. <laughs> This is our high fidelity shit. Yeah. Andy Warhol? I'm sure you guys want us to talk about the dropout or the WeWork, the We Crashed one. I think a lot of people have been watching the Andy Warhol diaries. 
I guess. Well, what we're going to talk about instead is this Ryan Murphy-produced documentary on Netflix about Andy Warhol, based off of the Andy Warhol diaries. But I don't know about you, I don't know what is going on with Netflix's algorithm, but I had to search for that show. It was not on my main page. Oh, I yeah, same. I guess the algorithm is like, you want to watch a Ryan Reynolds film, right? And I'm like, no. You would think that just based on the fact that I've watched every single Ryan Murphy show on Netflix, aside from Hollywood, that they would have just figured it out at this point, but I Netf- guess they haven't. Netflix's algorithm is them pushing their agenda onto you. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I'm only four episodes in, so I just watched the Basquiat episode, but I haven't gotten to the end yet. But I thought it was really... I found this to be really interesting because I was super obsessed with Warhol as a teenager, which is, you know, when I first read that book, when I first started to care about art, I guess, in general. But I haven't really thought about him since. Yeah, and I think what is nice about this documentary series is it is a deep cut documentary. It's not, it doesn't go, Andy was born here, and then he did this, and then he came to New York. It does circle back to that when it is relevant in the in the narrative, but it just kind of like dumps you into his career in the 70s right around when he gets shot. It kind of goes back and forward. Yeah, when forth. his career was in his mind on a decline, or it was in decline in a certain way. The artwork world is very trend and trend oriented just like fashion well it seemed like he always believed that his career was in decline or certainly wasn't respected within the art world which it wasn't they give a lot of context for that yeah but I was struck because I was unpacking my books and stuff when I was watching this and if you'd asked me how many Warhol or Warhol adjacent things do you own I'd be like oh a couple you know the amount of shit that I have accumulated over the years is staggering such as I have a lot of books I have a lot of back issues of interview. I have a lot of weird household items like that Calvin Klein Warhol blanket that came out during the Raph Simmons era. I have bookends that are like the Velvet Underground bananas. You know, it's it's a lot of stuff. And then when, when you go to the Andy Warhol extended universe, which is like Edie Sedgwick, Richard Bernstein, Stephen Sprouse, all of that shit together, then it's like, yeah, I have dozens, hundreds, you know, it's crazy. Do you think that'll be the follow-up Ryan Murphy documentary is the Andy Warhol extended universe? <laughs> well, this this did paint a picture of that as well, which was cool. Yeah, it's more focused on his personal life, a kind of personal life that felt like was not revealed until these diaries came out after his death and then uh, is really unpacked in this documentary, which is these two seemingly great loves that he had. Did you also find it interesting that Jed Jensen Mm -hmm. and John Gould were both identical twins? Both of Warhol's great loves each had identical twins. It's pretty fucked up. We should just say that the thesis of this docuseries is basically Andy Warhol is an asexual. Like, that's like, that's what they were- Is not asexual, yes. That's what they were trying to reinforce here because he wasn't. It, that was just part of his public persona, which is such an interesting choice to make. But I guess it gave him sort of like a alien-like quality or something. I don't know where you're at in the documentary. I know you just saw the Basquiat part, but have we gotten to? Have you gotten to the part where he starts modeling? Yeah. Yes, he's famous for the phrase "everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes," which of course became so prescient, but. 
the way that he just fucked with what was considered high culture and low culture, especially in his final years, like the fact that he just went back to model and the people in his business couldn't understand. They're like, no, why are you, you're making like a day rate as a model mm-hmm. when like you could do the advertising and make six figures. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I didn't realize that that's what he had done. Yeah. I have obviously seen him in advertisements for years. You know, I have a lot of old magazines. I've seen a lot of those ads, but I just assumed that he was paid to endorse them, not paid a day rate. It is so predictive of our culture now, where the ideas of what a celebrity does and does not endorse is just becoming more and more blurred. Yeah. Like I think of Lisa Renna doing ads for adult diapers. (laughs) But back to his boyfriends, I feel like Jed seemed incredible. Like, the more they told me about Jed, I was like, fuck, I love Jed. There's also, and I don't know if you feel this dread when you watch documentaries about gay men of this time, but when you don't see them interviewed, you're like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck happened? And then I looked it up, and Jed did not die of AIDS. Yeah, he he died in a plane crash. Ooh. Yeah. When? In 1996, the TW plane that took off from LaGuardia or JFK and immediately crashed down. He made it through the AIDS crisis. It's so fucked up. I mean, talk about Alanis Morissette ironic. That's fucked up. Also, we got an appearance from Victor Hugo, who was also featured prominently in the Ryan Murphy Halston series. Yeah, it seems like Ryan Murphy just wants to do a series about Victor Hugo. (laughs) It seems like, I don't think Victor Hugo is with us, but if he was, he should sue Ryan Murphy for defamation because both of these things make him seem like such a prick, which he obviously must have been. Although no one is fucking talking about how major his window displays were. Is this the pilot we should be writing and selling to Ryan Murphy? I just find it interesting because he's kind of only portrayed as someone that was just fucking, sucking, manipulating people and hanging out at Studio 54 a lot. I told you when I started watching this series that I thought I had maybe click through halfway through the series because I think it's halfway through the first episode. It's just, it, it's just him talking about going downtown with Steve Rubell. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, did I click on the wrong episode? And they're like, no, here, we're in it. Well, they're trying to grab the faggots at the top of the show so they keep watching with all that great archival footage of gay bars and stuff. Oh, man, it looks so fun. It did. I also really loved Jerry Hall's commentary. She was delightful as always, but she revealed something that I found to be incredibly fascinating, which was that when Andy Warhol did his portraits, apparently if he liked you, he would paint your lips along your lip line. And if he didn't like you, he would overline your lip. So I went back and looked at some portraits that he'd done. And by this criteria, he didn't like Elizabeth Taylor, Jackie O, or Jane Fonda, but he does like Debbie Harry, Grace Kelly, and Tina Chow. Anyway, I'm really enjoying it. Well, unfortunately, it's only going to get sadder for obvious reasons in the next part or two. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a great documentary. I think- oh, we should note that it's narrated by a bot. 
Oh, yes. We forgot to mention that an AI bot who I guess had to listen to 100,000 hours of Andy Warhol interviews is the narrator. This is a recent thing in the genre of documentaries. It was first employed during that Anthony Bourdain documentary where they only did it for one line and the rest was archival things that Anthony Bourdain had said. And then the Val Kilmer documentary where Val Kilmer can no longer speak they didn't do that, but it was like after the documentary was released, they did the same thing. And it's spooky. Yeah. Sounds exactly like him. And this sounds exactly like Warhol. And what a perfect narrator. Because he's reading his own diary entries, or the bot is reading his diary entries. So that's our recommendation. Sorry, no, no severance for us. <laughs> we need to watch that. I've heard it's incredible. That's what everyone says. We'll do it. But instead, we watch this, and then we watch the Kardashians, guys. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> so I watched this last night at like one in the morning after a few cocktails. So my notes about this and my phone are completely gibberish. Okay, cannot wait. I watched this at nine o'clock because HBO Max takes some lessons. It is released at midnight on the East Coast and 9 p.m. on the West Coast. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Seriously, thank you. This was lovely. So it opens with the most incredible drone shots I've ever seen. Which we knew we were getting because that's the one thing Kim talks about in the Variety article was like, did you see the drone shots? It looked incredible. I was watching this and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And it really does communicate how fucking bonkers their lifestyles are. And I mean, they can't show this for obvious reasons, but how bonkers their lives are considering they live within a two mile radius of each other yeah but we got to see the kylie cosmetics office kim's photo studio which was designed by rick owens it is insane which is where i think the abc interview happened yeah chelsea you understand that this is my fantasy that i could work five minutes away from where i live i can drive my car there's not only well, you now you can work where you live i understand that but i'm saying did you think of me when she doesn't just park in front of her office building she parks in, in the, the studio i know that was the most major end to the drone sequence when kim just peeled out of the studio in her what was that car you know i don't know cars well, it's hard to tell because she's painted them all the same grayish color. I think that might be the Maybach. Yeah, but a truly incredible way to kick things off. Well, I had very low expectations because I sent in our group thread with our friend Maya this review from Emily Kirkpatrick from The Cut that said, are we finally all caught up with the Kardashians? And it's a very disparaging review of the show, but The Cut loves to hate the Kardashians, though. Would I have read a good review of this show? No. But the thing that this review highlights is the fact that Look, if they haven't captured you in the last 14 years, you're not going to start liking them now. This show isn't for you. Yeah. It's for us. Yeah. It's for their devoted fan army of which we are a part of. <laughs> the card army. <laughs> I will say the one thing this review highlighted that I do agree with that, you know, they just need to take the L on is they said there was going to be a faster turnaround and there wasn't. And I hope for season two, we do get that faster turnaround. Yeah. Because we are now beginning what seems to be the last week of August, first week of September of 2021. Yeah. So Kim has been booked on SNL, but she doesn't film it during the course of this episode. Kendall 
has COVID, so she's not on the show. So this is the best. They film her with that drone footage. I think what... That's when she's doing the sound bath. So I think what separates this show from the old show, other than the amazing drone footage, is they have instituted these almost modern family-esque interstitials, like comedy bits, as if it is a mockumentary. I mean, that's what Modern Family got those talking to the camera bits from, which is Chris goes, oh, Kendall said she's sick. And then it cuts to the Kendall interview portion where she runs into the scene, sits on the couch and goes, yeah, guys, so I got COVID. Don't worry about it. You're going to see me in a little bit. Bye. I was like, this is great. I thought there was something a little awkward about it. Sure, because they can't actually act. But yeah, I exactly, it. exactly. But it was a it was a fun throwback to that time when you had to like kind of lie about having COVID if you had it, <laughs> like, and be like, "Yeah, I'm I have a cold, can't go out, see you later, whatever." It was just a different time. So we get to see Kravis together. Happy as clams. I really liked that part where Chris was talking shit about them and how annoying they were, where she was like, they're just like, babe, what do you want for dessert, babe? Like, do you want the apple tart, babe? So good. And Chris is like, for 15 minutes they do this. I'm like, just get both. Yeah, they sound annoying, but. Can we discuss, because we, I also sent this in our group thread with Maya, the photos that Kim had posted after the Kardashian premiere of her and Pete at John and Vinny's. And I said, isn't she vegan? And within five minutes of the Kardashian, she's taking fried chicken and macaroni and cheese and such. And she just looks to the camera and she's like, you know, most days I'm vegan, but like not yeah, today. I don't think she's like a stringent vegan. Certainly not. No, she's like 98% of the time I'm vegan. It's like, okay, but you also have like a chopped salad with an egg later in the show, but fine. It was really fun seeing Balenciaga Kim in the confessional segments, which we've never seen before. And throughout the show, that was basically all that she was wearing. Tat was such a catty bitch. She was like, I love how Kim is wearing current season Balenciaga and Chloe is wearing like what's in stores right now. But it's true. It's true. Leave Chloe alone. Also, is Saint wearing custom Prada? Because they do not make children's wear, to my knowledge, apart from shoes. I'm sure they sent that to her as a as a gift. He looked very, very cute. To butter her up to get her to the show. We got a bit of Scott giving divorced dad recovering alcoholic vibes. Well, Chloe and Kim correctly note the, the opening sequence of the show is them at a, a barbecue at Kim's house. And they realize, oh shit, should we have invited Scott? Because for those who've been following the show, it's not just that Scott is the father of Courtney's children. It's also the fact that Scott's parents died and he doesn't have a family. Right. And Chris and everyone always said, you'll always be part of the family. And they're like, hmm. Until she's with the love of her life, which she says repeatedly that Travis is the love of her life. And like, we don't really want things to be awkward. I don't think it's so much about that is that I'm sure Scott can't contain his behavior. He's probably acting like a dick around them. So like at that point, you just stop inviting him to shit. Not because Travis is there necessarily, but just because Scott clearly can't keep it together. But that's what they say in the show is that they don't want it awkward. Yeah. And Scott's like, I could be okay. And Courtney's like, fuck him. I gave him 
all these years of chances. And even Scott says like, yeah, I just kind of assumed we would always get back together. It's like, yeah, he literally was like, my foot was kind of halfway in the door, halfway out of the door. It's like, if you want to be in the door, go in the door, stop drinking, win Courtney back, just put some effort into it. And the fact that he was like, oh, I was just kind of thrown because everyone always said, you know, at some point you guys will work it out and come back together. But it's like you put in no effort to actually make that happen. And now you're triggered because she's moved on. And as Courtney said, (laughs) we haven't been together in seven years. And I was with him for 10 years before and he acted terribly then too. Yeah. It was like, damn. All right. Yeah. So they very much glossed over the Chloe Tristan drama. Because it hasn't happened yet. The latest, Are you sure? The latest baby mama stuff, yeah, has not come out yet. Oh, you're right. That's why it's Tristan is like, well, I'd like to get back together with you. And she's like, hey, you still got to earn it. Right. Kim is also going through some drama around her sex tape but do you believe this no this feels very very invented i mean look we're not the audience to understand what roblox is it is some sort of lego minecraft world for children yeah that they're obsessed with but yeah saint saint conveniently shows her in the opening scene of this reality show of which they say multiple times this is the first day of filming isn't this crazy that this is the first day of filming And Saint just happens to show you what looks to be a Roblox game that is teasing a new release of your sex tape that Ray J's manager has that he's advertising on a children's site. An extended cut of the sex tape that we've never heard about this potentially coming out. Like this was news to everyone. Yeah. I don't buy it. I think that when she was crying on the phone to Kanye, that was fascinating because that seemed very, very legit. But I just do not believe that this actually happened in this way because it is too convenient. It is the same theme of the first episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I think, honestly, it's it's two things tied together. That it's, the Robux thing is a little convenient, but like, I don't doubt that Ray J's manager was maybe shopping this around but chloe even says she goes this is such a great omen remember this is what we dealt with in the first episode it's like don't say that out loud because it sets off alarm bells in our minds i think that saint is her favorite i think she said saint is her favorite child north is obviously kanye's favorite sorry to the other two sam and shy shy's my favorite i think she's the cutest (laughs) i think saint's the cutest yeah he's pretty cute but Twice Kim goes, thank God my kid can't read. I was like, isn't he like eight? (laughs) Shouldn't he be able to read something by now? She's like, I am so lucky he can't read any words other than my name. All of their kids are going to be illiterate just because like Kim doesn't want them to actually read about all the shit that this family has done over the years. I'm Look, I get it. It's something that she knows she's going to have to address to her children at some point. She just obviously didn't want to address it now. But great content for the first episode. Totally. Okay, other things I have in my incoherent notes. Is this just supposed to cover my clit? (laughs) 
Do you not remember the context? Do you want me to? <laughs> yeah, it was Chloe was talking about a Skims yeah. bodysuit. How many days has it been since we have not been added to the PR list? Well, if it was 403, I guess I said we started our podcast in 2001. I meant 2021, guys. <laughs> um, well, if that was. Yeah, we say factually inaccurate things on this pod all the time. No, but it was 403 days last week, so it's 410 days now. Yeah. Anyway, Chloe was concerned about the amount of puss coverage. <laughs> Which I wasn't exactly following. Okay, another thing I have in my notes. What if I was sleeping and he stuck a dildo up my ass? Which is Kim on the phone with, with her lawyer. <laughs> and um, what's her name? The CMO that Kanye hates. And... Uh, Saying, I'm 99% sure that more footage doesn't exist unless I was asleep and he stuck a dildo in my ass. That's stuff you wouldn't get on E. No. Also, I'm pretty sure that's a crime in every state at this point. This is what happens when people who aren't funny try to be funny is they say deeply problematic things. I've also written down upper 20s, which is apparently how Scott Disick described his ideal partner. No, no, no. His ideal partner if he decided to be serious. That's the best part <laughs> of this conversation with Chloe. He's like, well, now that the do door has closed with Courtney. So the understanding that we're supposed to get is that because he thought Courtney was an option was why he was dating extremely unrealistically aged women. Yeah. And that now that he, and by the way, he's 36, 37, uh, he thinks upper 20s is the upper echelon that he'll go. Also, you've seen the graph of Leonardo DiCaprio's age and girlfriends, right? That he's never had a girlfriend past yeah, the course. age of 25, and his current girlfriend's turning 25 this year. It's time for her to go. She's aged out. Also, we learned that Kravis went on all of these weird platonic dates for years before they got together, including going to church together. What church is Kravis going to? Uh, Chris's church that they launder all their money through, allegedly. It's weird with, when people with that many tattoos are really Christian, don't you find? I mean, there's a, there's a pretty good overlap, Joe, of that. It depends on the kind of tattoos. I, you know, when you have face and neck tattoos, though, and you're that religious, it's like, hmm. I would love some kind of EPK on Hulu. You know, they have, like, extras. I would love Courtney explaining her favorite Black Flag songs. That's all I could think about, because Travis is wearing a Black Flag shirt while at this picnic. Yeah, I just, like, TV party. I love it. Because, like, I love TV, too. Maybe she fucking loves Black Flag. Chelsea, I don't know. I can't imagine her listening to Rise Above, okay? I'm a Black Flag <laughs> fan, okay? I have gone to Henry Rollins' spoken word shows. <laughs> I need receipts from Courtney, okay? <sighs> I went to one and I was like, I don't ever need to go to one again. <laughs> I'm good. Or no, wait, I went to two. He performed at Joe's Pub once and I went to. It's quite good. I love a Joe's Pub show. I'd give anything to go to Joe's Pub again. I would give anything for a venue that was Joe Pubs-esque here. Yeah, I would give anything for just a venue that <laughs> isn't a fucking nightmare to work with. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so annoyed. About the fact that we're now not doing this live show? Yeah. That's very upsetting, guys. It is annoying. If anyone listening lives in Los Angeles and is like, hey, I have a performance space that isn't a nightmare, or I don't know, hit us up. 
I was going to make the point that you're probably asking, why don't you just get a new venue? And the issue is that when we wanted to do it, it is also the week that Netflix is doing a comedy festival and they have literally rented every performance space in Los Angeles for two weeks. And it's a time-sensitive thing. If we don't do it next month, we can't do it for another year. So it's fucked. Anyway, whatever. I'll get over it. So did you enjoy the Kardashians? Are you enjoying it more than keeping up? Because I am. Oh, for sure. It's way better. It's much more expensive looking than keeping up was, which really serves them. They have such a distinct aesthetic. The show should have an aesthetic, too, that doesn't look like shit and make everything look trashy and cheap. They've also dropped the the forced comedy bits from the last few seasons, which was highlighted, I think, in the Variety article. One of the recent articles they did was that after Kim's robbery, they didn't want to do so many personal things. But I think they've dropped that and are now just showing their lives. Again, it's all set up. It, it feels very uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills during the pandemic, where it's like, now we go over to your house. Now we go here for lunch which I'm fine with yeah totally it is interesting that they showed all the prep of her going to SNL without her going but like why why would you not dedicate a whole episode to that yeah you did catch that she said that she ran into Pete Davidson at the Met so it's the September Met I assume that she was at and he was like when he was dressed like a little Tom Brown schoolboy. I'm surprised she could even see him (laughs) But she goes, oh, my God, I'm so nervous. And he's like, can you read cue cards? Then you can do this. And I kind of was like, can she read cue cards? Yeah, of course she can read cue cards. I know. I'm being You're constantly marginalizing these women, saying that Courtney doesn't listen to Black Flag. I'm saying sorry. that Kim can't read cue cards. I women would, supporting women, Lauren. I wouldn't be able to read cue cards. I would become the most awkward person if I would become so obsessed with, like, do I look natural reading this? But she is self-aware. There's that moment where she's talking and she's getting her glam done. And they're like, can you do accents? She's like, no. Can you sing? No. Can you dance? No. (laughs) I do like that Courtney was hyping her up, though. She was like, I know we give you shit and tell you you're not funny, but you are funny. Yeah, that was cute. And then one last thing that I want to ask you, which doesn't have to do with the show, but one of the clips that's been going around of Kim at the premiere was someone was asking her about what she's wearing to the Met. And she said, I don't know if I'm going, which is total fucking bullshit. It's, it's a matter of if I fit into this because it cannot be altered to which I sent in our group thread vintage question mark. No. And you think, well, I think it's something that can't be altered because it's molded plastic or glass, or something that just can't be altered with traditional sewing techniques, you know, something that's like 3D printed or something, Yeah, is my guess. I, I mean, her body is bonkers. I could not believe her ass. Like, it's still wild, because she's so tiny. The waist-to-hip ratio is just mind-boggling. My waist-to-hip ratio is crazy enough that I can't imagine what her proportions are. Oh, my waist and hip ratio is like the same number. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I can't wait for her Met look. Just can't wait. And we're less than a month out, so. Yeah, we're three weeks. (laughs) So hopefully she'll fit into her uh, whatever the fuck she's wearing. And hopefully she'll come with Pete and they'll make their red carpet debut. One thing that's really keeping me up at night, though, Lauren, is the fact that... Not with the Kardashians or what's... 
Is that what? No, it's 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 Kardashian related. Is that I'm very scared that Chloe will be the only Kardashian that is not there. And that's quite sad because Courtney and Travis will definitely be there this year. They've come up so much, which leaves Chloe standing alone. I mean, it's just it's it's her nature. It's sad though. She doesn't need the Met. It was one thing when at least she had Courtney to co- commiserate with, but now that Courtney is gone, it's like, am I just like no one wants to fucking dress me? You know? Yeah. Who who do you think is bringing Courtney and Travis? Because I still, again, these all make sense in theory. Well, one thing I don't get is like, can't Vogue just let the Kardashians or Hulu or whatever buy a table, and it's just all of them, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. If a designer wants to invite, if they want to be a guest of a designer. Also, can we stop this clickbaity article where it's like, technically you, anyone could go to the Met Gala. You don't think that Anna Wintour controls who gets to buy a table with an iron fist? Yeah. Yes, they're $200,000. I imagine that the people who bought tables last year and the year before are the ones that are still buying tables. There's not like... At a, yes, they say that you could buy a single ticket for $35,000, but you can't. No. That's like saying, like, yeah, anyone can buy a skybox at the, well, I was going to say Staples Center, Crypto.com Center. <laughs> I'm not calling it the Crypto.com Arena. Is that what it's called? It's the Staples Center. Yeah. Can you imagine spending whatever they spent? I think it's like $700 million? It's yeah, kind of worth it. Not if everyone's going to keep calling it the Staples Center. Yeah. Wait, now I have to see what it costs. Yeah. Yeah. Crypto.com buys the naming rights to the Lakers Staples Center in a $700 million deal. You just spent $700 million for all of us to still call it the Staples Center. <laughs> Job not well done. Well, wait. Can you still put, like, the <laughs> Staples Center into, yeah. like, Uber Is it still there or did they like find a way to ban it and you have to say crypto.com? Or does it just autocorrect? Yeah, still there. Of course. All right. See, if I'm spending $700 million, I'm getting that geotag removed. I'm finding a way. They might have gotten the naming rights, but they didn't get the geotagging rights. (sighs) Anywho. Yeah. I guess uh, we've come to the end of the episode. This was fun. I missed you. Yeah. Miss talking dumb bullshit with you. It truly is the highlight. No matter how bad a week is, I'm like, eh, I get to talk to Chelsea. That's yeah, always best. For sure. And you guys, for some reason, enjoy us talking <laughs> about our bullshit. Reasons unknown, but we certainly appreciate it. It's delightful, but continues to stun us when we read DMs that are like, oh, I fall asleep to your podcast. Or like, I feed my baby <laughs> listening to your podcast. Yeah, don't expose your baby to this podcast. The well, baby's like, Mommy, who's Isabelle Pear? Oh, that's next. Is someone being like, I named my baby Isabelle because of you guys. <sighs> anyway, we'll be back next week. I think we should do a Sex in the City episode, actually. Okay. What episode should we talk about? Do we want to do like a depressing season five episode? Sure. Okay. Someone asked about plus one is the loneliest number because that gets us the introduction of Berger and Amy Sedaris. Okay, sure. Plus one is the loneliest number it is. Oh, I think this also gets us a bunny appearance as well. Okay, cool. 
Done. All right, guys, we're watching next week. Plus one is the loneliest number. That is season five, episode five of a season that only had eight episodes. Is this like a two Manolo episode? I can't tell. Or is it a good one? Uh, I mean, only time will tell. Someone on the Patreon was like, maybe you should do a low Manolo episode. But I wonder what that would be. I think maybe some there's some low points. In, it's season one and season five, I think. Yeah. Well, time will tell about how, how low this Manolo is. It's like a kitten heel. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, oh, it's a Manolo. Oh, Usually that. it's a Manolo. Hi. I hate that. I hate that. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye, fuckettes. Bye, fuckettes. We'll see you next week. Bye.